Welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, brought to you once a week by the Maternity and Midwifery Forum. This podcast is supported by Matflix, video streaming from maternity experts. All your CPD needs made easy. If you need to get your revalidation done or have a student project to complete, Matflix is the one-stop shop. And welcome to this week's Maternity and Midwifery Hour. My name's Sue McDonald and I'm the curator for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour and the Maternity and Midwifery Festival. I feel a bit schizophrenic this week because I've been doing both. So we had a fantastic festival yesterday, more about that later. But um, this evening I'm going to be joined by the lovely Professor Trixie Macquarie and Wendy and Charlotte Clayton. And because we always do this to our guests, I'm going to put them put them on the spot and ask them for a moment of the week to share with us. So I shall start with Trixie. Thanks, Sue. Fantastic to be with everybody uh, today. And I think my moment of the week happened this morning when I got to listen face to face to Mary Renfrew talking about uh, the Lancet series on midwifery. And she just reminded us that in 56 different measures, um, midwives made a difference to clinical outcomes for women. And that was just mm. so amazing. And if we tie it with our subject matter for this evening about continuity of care, it's about the relational intervention and it's about it's about getting the dosage right of, of, of being able to spend time with women and really get to know what they need and what they want. So that was a really uplifting moment for me today. Thanks, Sue. Fabulous. A fantastic Thank moment you. of the week because it was a lovely morning. Thank you. How about Wendy? Thank you, still very privileged to be here with you today and thank you for inviting me so the moment for me was speaking at the london uh, matrons conference on monday meeting those influential and influencer within our maternity services i think our matrons are great and without them we cannot run a good services so um that was my moment it was really great to see many of them you know, and it was such a powerful and fantastic conference. So thanks to the London Region team. Fabulous. Thank you so much. That's wonderful, Wendy. Some lovely moments of the week to share. So thank you for that. So Charlotte's um, going to share her moment of the week. Hi, everyone. What an honour um, it is for me to be present tonight. Well, I think my moment of the week has to be has to be being here, to be fair. Oh. It's an absolute honour to be able to come and contribute to today's midwifery hour um, and to share my uh, some of my findings of my PhD research which actually is looking at um, health inequalities and the public health role of caseloading midwives so yes thank you so much. Fantastic and it's it's lovely for us actually and I always say this I love to have people who are talking about their passions live because it'll come alive so thank you so much for being with us. I'm just going to go through my my usual little things that just to remind Mm. us where we came from. The maternity hour was kind of born from the COVID um, pandemic. And there was a a little a little snippet on Twitter earlier today saying about this. This Mm. was the day that there was um, a broadcast about the very first case picked up of COVID. And it all sounded very weird when you think of 2020 when we uh, then had um, the the lockdown and that's when we started the maternity and midwifery hour really as a way to get midwives and student midwives connected but also provide information and an opportunity for continuing professional development because we couldn't meet we couldn't go to study days we couldn't go to conferences couldn't go to festivals so we had to have some way of, of getting our information and so we started the maternity hour and we're still going and it's in fact it's series nine session five now and I can almost not believe that we've we've come so far Um, and what's lovely and for those of you who might be joining us for the first time this evening all of the um, maternity midwifery forum events are recorded so you never miss anything and if you want to follow up anything or if you maybe Maybe your IT breaks down some point this evening. I hope it doesn't. But if it did, you'd be able to find this whole session today 
you could find let next week's session you could find last week's session because everything's recorded and kept by the lovely Mapflix. so you just go to the Mapflix source and you can find all the information and all the recordings you could want in fact there i believe there are a thousand and a hundred hours worth of sessions so there must be something there for you and it's all it's all free unless you have the box sets where there's a little subscription charge but that's because it's all curated beautifully by Dr Jenny Hall and it's got reflective activities and additional reading resources and that's very good if you're doing a project or a dissertation or a PhD for example you might want some very concentrated information and that's a very good resource so do have an opportunity to um, have a look at the uh, information when you have some time if you have some time and I also want to say a big thank you to our midwives, our student midwives and everyone in maternity care at the moment. It's a busy time. It's a stressful time. And it feels as though it's been stressful and busy for the last three years. And I think it has been. But a big thank you to you for carrying on and giving the beautiful care that you're giving to mothers and babies and families. It's really appreciated. And we know that from feedback we get from mums you know, on a regular basis, as well as, a, you know, not so good feedback. We do get great feedback, don't we? And I'm also going to say, look after yourselves. And I'm probably saying at the end of the show as well, you need to look after yourselves uh, and each other at this time. Now, I'm also, this is the news feature now. We're moving swiftly on. And um, this week was the International Day of Zero Tolerance to Female Genital Mutilation, FGM. And we were reminded this at the festival by the lovely Adebola Araboto and Comfort Momo, who were both there at yesterday's festival. And it was a fantastic day. So we had all the all the people you could desire there speaking. So we had our chief midwife, Jackie Dunkley-Bent. We had Sandra Igwe. We had Sarah Sarapella. Aralampam and the lovely Amy and Anna and Anna and Sheena Byram. Can't even say the names this evening. And we talked from everything from human rights, leadership, kindness, love and compassion, and the most important thing of, of addressing racism and inequality and changing culture. And changing culture is the, the most difficult thing to be doing, and we really do need to start addressing that very actively. And and the other thing, of course, we've been stunned and, and really horrified by the events in Turkey and Syria with this terrible earthquake, which is taking so many lives and being so difficult for the people of, of Turkey and that edge of Syria. And our hearts and prayers go to them and with the people at this time. If you've got some spare pennies, send some to the Red Cross or to International Rescue or similar, because every little bit will help. The, the people at this, this time now we're going on to the main meat of the the evening now having done the little news bit we're looking at continuity of care and i know that we've, we've returned to this every now and then it's a thread that goes through quite a lot of the sessions we do and i know there have been difficulties because of, of covid obviously some things slowed down some things actually didn't slow down and carried on developing which was fantastic but I'm really so pleased to to introduce our three wonderful midwives this evening and I'm going to start with the first two speakers and that's first of all is Professor Trixie McAlee who is a, an old friend of the program she's a, a highly experienced midwife she's been a consultant midwife head of midwifery and now she's the national midwifery lead for continuity of care at NHS England and also and within the Chief Midwifery Officer and Transformation Team. She's also a Professor of Midwifery and Maternal Health. Don't ask what she does in her spare time because she won't have any. That's it. <laughs> and then also <laughs> we have Charlotte Clayton, who's a clinical academic doctoral midwife, stroke PhD student at Bournemouth University. She's an Ilanthe Midwifery Research Fellow, 20, 2022 award holder. Um, she's also a clinical lead for maternity and women's health and digital health industry partner called Orca. And she's got a very wide range of experiences as a, as a midwife in primary and secondary care. And she's going to be talking about her research. So the two, Trixie and Charlotte, are going to do a little bit of a double act. So welcome. The screen is yours now. 
Thank you very much, Sue. Come here for the first slide. Brilliant. So, um, hello, everybody. It's absolutely fantastic to have this opportunity once again to talk about my favourite subject, continuity of carer. Um, I just want to set the scene for you all today in thinking about how continuity of carer really does make a difference to health inequalities. And with me this evening, I've got the very wonderful Charlotte Clayton, um, who has really been looking at a micro level at, at what impacts the lives of families and also of midwives who've been doing continuity of care for a long time. We have to remember the context in which we're working. Our current services are broken, going all the way back to Northwick Park in 2005 to modern day. We've had report after report that has told us the same things. There is nothing new. Culture, leadership, staffing, um, risk, risk assessment have been lacking, but that is because of the way we do our current way we do our service delivery. We've also got uh, research from places like the Welm study that say delivering care in the way we do makes midwives very unhappy. And therefore we have to agree that we have a very strong case for change. We know we need to change. We've got the evidence for why things aren't working and we know how we need to change. We've got a solution and uh, we just need to think about ways of how we can reach that new place of service delivery that's going to make things better for everybody. The answer is we've got to start thinking about things in a different way. So uh, Albert Einstein said, if we keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, well, that's insanity. And that's what we've been doing in maternity services. Um, for at least as long as I've been in senior leadership over the last 15 or so years. And we've also got um, Kirkup, who said very clearly in the East Kent report, if we don't begin to tackle this differently, there'll be more. And he's actually been doing reviews, as he says in his opener, since 1967. So it tells us that our current service delivery models simply don't work and we have to do something different. Now, when thinking about transformation, we've got to think, if I was a caterpillar, I would have no notion of what being a butterfly would look like. And that's partly what we have to think about as we think about transformation within the context of maternity services. In go undergoing that change, we have to be ready to think about the problem and think about the solutions in a completely different way, as different as a caterpillar is to a butterfly. Next slide, please. So we do have a way out. We need to agree our vision and we need to understand and use the evidence we've got and actually, it's not just our three Cochrane reviews that we've got around specifically midwifery continuity of carer, but we've also got other evidence, for example, from primary care where GPs provide continuity, people live longer. We've got global health um, examples that, that tell us where you have a relationship, relational intervention, uh, health outcomes significantly change. So we have some, some really key uh, data sources. And I'd like to point you to Hannah Raymond Jones, who was actually at my uh, at the research conference this morning. And she's done a lot of work that says continuity of care makes a significant difference to vulnerable women and women living in deprivation and indeed uh, women uh, who, are, who are black or Asian or mixed race. Um, you've also got work from Anthony Costello that did a huge piece of work across the Indian subcontinent. Uh, which was a relational intervention and it reduced perinatal mortality by a third, which I think is absolutely incredible over humongous amounts of people. And he, finds he found that standard healthcare didn't make a difference. He tried to get people to wash their hands and they just didn't listen to them. But when he tried a relational intervention, suddenly everything changed and babies stopped dying and clinical outcomes improved. The other thing we've got is work by someone come called um, Joseph Kai, 2007. He looked at healthcare workers and what he said was people don't intend to care for people who are different to themselves in a, in a negative way or they, they don't intend to be rude or they don't necessarily intend to do anything bad. But the reality is because they're anxious about dealing with someone who's different to them, they, they get anxious and therefore they make mistakes and they make assumptions about people. And as we're thinking about personalised and culturally sensitive care, we have to uh, be brave and we have to start building that relationship which gives us the positioning to be able to ask people about what they prefer and what they need and is it all right to touch you and and so on and so forth so we're absolutely confident and sure as well as having three Cochrane reviews with a fourth one on its way that giving care in this way absolutely saves lives and and um, 
improves outcomes uh, for people. In addition to all of this, of course, we've got a mandate from the, the, the select committee within the within within Parliament that reviewed all the things that we were trying to do and hit that the only criticism we got really was we need to be doing this quicker. So continuity of carer is the appropriate thing to do to bring about the changes that we're seeking, but we're just not doing it quickly enough. So what do women want? We, we interrogated the CQC results of 2019. And what we can say is where women um, had continuity of care, and it wasn't loads of people, but there was a significant amount. What they reported was in 38 out of 42 items, care was reported as being significantly better. And when you can interrogate this, the detail of the slide yourselves if you want to. So the vision that we're trying to communicate is that our default position is that all women are cared for within a continuity team model. That means I pick you up at booking and I I and you together organize ourselves in such a way that I'm able to provide all the antenatal care and either me or my team will be available for your birth and then I will give you your postnatal care. So it really is a relational thing. It also gives us the opportunity to build communities and do creative caring because I've only got a caseload of 27 live or a live caseload of 27 and therefore we can do many things that we'd never have dreamt of being able to do within the within the standard uh, program of care each midwife has 36 completed cases a year and the midwife team is about eight so they really can get to know each other and what we want to do in this context and we've already got that in places that we're rolling out the teams in areas of greatest need first every or every every team member should have every team sorry should have an, a, an obstetrician and there should be a, tom, to, a strong team ethos that allows for fresh eyes, a microcosm of clinical governance um, that feeds up to the wider board. So that your chief nurse in your service will know that you over there in that little service over there on that little team over there are giving top quality um, and a high, a top quality care. But ultimately, the whole maternity service delivers continuity of care. So uh, at that point, at this point, I'm going to hand over to Charlotte, who has been looking at a microcosm of care. Hello. Thank you so much for that kind introduction, Trixie. So um, I am going to talk to you a bit about my PhD research. But just before that, I wanted to take a moment to thank my PhD sponsors. The Ilanthi Midwifery Trust. Um, awarded me last year the Midwifery Research Fellowship and this is supporting me in the last um, parts of my PhD with the writing and dissemination of my PhD. And my original funders, Bournemouth University and the University Hospital Southampton. Without the support of these organisations over the last five years, this research would not be possible. And my research um, is a grounded theory which has examined the public health role of caseloading midwives working in areas of high deprivation. And tonight I'm going to share some of my research findings with you all. My research was co-created with stakeholders um, at Bournemouth University and maternity service users and staff at the Princess Hospital, um, Princess Anne Hospital in Southampton. Southampton have over 20 years experience of providing midwifery continuity of care to women and their families in the most deprived areas in the city. And they've contributed to population health in many nuanced ways which have not previously been explored. Working in three teams of up to eight midwives, supported by link consultants and midwifery support workers, the teams provide care across all three phases of the maternity care pathway. And they've experienced waves of policy um, development, transformation and innovation over the years. My research was developed out of a local priority to understand the nuances of the public health role of caseloading midwives, working in the three teams across the city through the perspectives of the women and midwives themselves. My study employed the use of a methodology called constructivist grounded theory to examine the phenomenon, which and this methodology is well suited for social science research that seeks to uncover the underlying mechanisms of a social process, such as relational based continuity of care and its outcomes. The study itself was set in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic, 
and I had the honour of being able to listen to the experiences of 36 participants during the second and third national lockdowns in England. So some of the main findings I wanted to share with you tonight, um, the first ones that we will look at here are some, some quotes from women um, that I had the pleasure of interviewing. I wanted to share um, with you how the women felt about their midwives and how they contributed to their health and well-being from their perspectives. Interestingly, you'll notice from the word cloud here and also on the pages um, related to the midwives um, findings, midwives and women actually shared a similar language in how they described their experiences and their perceptions about the public health role and impact of caseloading midwives. I just want us to focus on the top right hand story here. We'll call this participant Michelle. Michelle was an incredible woman. Prior to her contact with her caseloading midwife, social services were working closely with Michelle and her family because her partner, her children's father, was suffering with a drug and alcohol addiction, which had caused considerable dysfunction within their family unit. Michelle's partner was mistrusting of social services and had previously declined addiction support, which was threatening the possibility of further social service intervention. After working closely with Michelle's midwife, um, he agreed to being referred to a specialist addiction service. This opened up a wealth of support for him and their family, as you can see from Michelle's quotation here. But I just wanted to provide a little bit more context. Michelle said, my support worker couldn't believe the difference from meeting us to the difference from when she was signing us off. And it's all thanks to Racer that we finally got the support that we needed to finally give us a better lifestyle than we had. I'll just give you a few moments to um, just muse over some of the quotations. But on this slide, I wanted to focus on the quotation from another participant and we'll call her Poppy. Due to the motivational interviewing and trauma-focused mental health support that she received from her midwife in collaboration with her community mental health team, Poppy felt ready to process the complexities that she had experienced in her childhood. Prior to her contact with her caseloading midwife, she felt able, she felt unable to face them directly. And she says here, I finally feel like I'm able to deal with my childhood and go through stuff and ask questions I've always wanted to ask. So we'll now look at some of the findings from interviews with midwives. Two of the most meaningful concepts in my research explored the impact of the work midwives did with women who were at risk of having their babies removed from their care. And also the community groups that midwives set up with children's centre staff to meet the needs of women who'd recently migrated to the UK as the quote at the bottom of this page discusses. One of the midwives said, we created an Afghan women's group and we helped them with English language le lessons, contraception, infant feeding, vaccinations. It was all public health stuff. And eventually they had better English to sort of influence the other women in their communities. So what does all this information mean for midwifery continuity of care and our profession? Constant comparative data analysis, which are the tenets of constructivist grounded theory analysis, they revealed that we need to be harnessing the power of data to be able to evidence our impact on population health and strengthen our call for midwifery to be seen as a legitimate public health intervention that has longevity and does influence the health of women and their children across the life course. Caseloading midwives who took part in my research described a whole host of clinical and non-clinical skills and interventions that they employed in creative ways to meet the needs of their local communities that were not necessarily captured by clinical coding systems and fed therefore upstream regionally and nationally for, national, for reporting instances. For instance, midwives spoke about food, fuel, and housing poverty. 
This was collected in unstructured ways, if at all. And even after the implementation of a sophisticated maternity information system, issues like food and fuel poverty were not collected or reported on. Yet we know their impact on maternal infant health and how these determinants continue to widen the gap in health inequalities between the richest and poorest in society. Midwives also spoke about their longevity of their love for continuity and that impetus to impact population health. Continuity of care is the answer to our problems in maternity services. And if we listen and learn from the experiences of those providing care, we will bet and benefiting from this model, the answers to our problems will be revealed on both a micro and macro level for population health. Thank you very much. So I was just going to wrap up the session by saying that all of us, Wendy, me, and I'm going to be roping Charlotte in, as you can imagine, <laughs> are all very keen to help services um, succeed with continuity of care. Because as you can see, we've got such a strong case for and such a moral imperative for doing it. But in order to do it, we have to get strong foundations. We are about to launch um, the midwifery deployment uh, staffing tool that will help people look at their staffing and become confident in their staffing and the other building blocks are in, in the guidance. Next slide, please. People have asked, is continuity still a thing? And the answer is absolutely yes. It remains a national um, ambition. All we've said is we've taken away the target because of the significant staffing issues that services mm. across the country are experiencing. But evidence-based care is gold standard. We have showed you from the evidence that I've mentioned from what Charlotte's mentioned, and I'm sure Wendy will say even more about it in a minute. It is gold standard. We've got a moral imperative to do this. We are available to support you and help you. And what we're focusing a lot on, and you'll hear um, a lot about, is data, training, enhanced continuity. We've got 59 teams in play that we're funding at the moment, and we're hoping to double that over the next year. And we've also got six evaluations underway. As you know, there are many asks within um, within uh, continuity, sorry, within, within the maternity transformation programme. But if you get continuity, and think of continuity as your vehicle, so you're going to change your service delivery model and you're going to use continuity as your vehicle. You'll be able to deliver all the other asks that you're asked to do, such as increasing breastfeeding, which is what Mary Renfrew said this morning, reduce smoking. Mary Renfrew also said that um, to improve uh, clinical outcomes. And final slide from me, please, is we have to remember that the pregnancy gives us this window of opportunity. It gives us a window to improve physical well-being. And so we change people's long terms outcomes as Charlotte has been talking about and investigating so that person when they're healthy within the womb with their mother doesn't drop dead when they're 60 years old because of what we have done as midwives likewise we improve mental well-being and uh, where women are less depressed because of the care they've received during their pregnancy um, they then read to their children and their children are then ready to learn when they go to school. And then we will see a change in um, long term psychosocial outcomes as well for these people. And on that note, I want to hand over to Wendy. Well, you might do and get yourself lined up because I have to do my introduction to Wendy now. And that's fine. Thank you so much, Trixie. I think this is that we cope with the gremlins. And now I think. The gremlins might have gone, I hope so anyway. So I'm going to introduce the lovely Wendy Oliwala. Well, Oliwola. Now, have I pronounced that correctly, Wendy? Well done to you, Sue. Well done. You did well. <laughs> now, Wendy is our national maternity lead for equality at NHS England. And I say our because I think it's really important to own these people at the top who are helping us just change so many things that need to be changed. She's got wide experience as a nurse and a midwife in acute and community services. She's committed to supporting and empowering practitioners to provide culturally sensitive care to women and families. And she was the winner of the NHS at 70 Leaders Award in 2018, as well as being awarded the BEM for services to the NHS and equality during COVID in 2021. So welcome, Wendy. Thank you so much for being with us. Fantastic. Perfect. So excited to be here this evening. Thank you for inviting me. I'm just going to go straight into, into my slides. I know there's so much information to share with you this evening. So forgive me if I'm speaking very fast because that we need time to, to have a conversation. 
I think it's important to remind ourselves um, the, the constitution of the NHS and why NHS was founded. And interestingly, it's going to be 75 years this year. So it was founded in 1948. Uh, and it was founded as an instrument of social justice, you know, interestingly, you know, to address and to care for everyone, regardless of where they are from, you know, what they look like, their background, you know, their social status. So we have that, you know, as, as a backdrop of what should influence the care that we provide, but is that what the case is? And not forgetting that 1948, the NHS was actually, you know, um, designed, was put together by white people for white population, which is fair, but this is 21st century. The country is far more diverse than 1948. So is it time for us to start thinking, you know, outside the box in terms of how we care for diverse communities. So why do we work to improve equity and equality? We do know equity is a key component of high quality care. It will also help us to achieve our half its aim by the government to, to reduce maternal and perinatal mortality and brain injury rate by half by 2025. We are in 2023 and obviously we have made a good progress in relation to that. And it's also our legal duty to ensure that we provide cultural equitable care you know, to the women that you know, are within our services. We have the NHS constitution, like I already mentioned, we have equality heart as well as health and social care. So we are aware very much so about the Embrace report. It's not new to many of us now. Um, and it's been, I mean, this data has been collected for a couple of decades now and it's important that we know how far we have come and just before the, the recent report that was published in November 2022 the seventh one which obviously the November one was the eighth one I think it's important to know where we are coming from from being five times more you know to four times more and it's also important that we, we celebrate you know, uh, our small wins in terms of improvement. And we obviously, you know, not forgetting the COVID, you know, up to this stage, not forgetting all the challenges. And COVID did not bring anything new. We just shone the light, you just practically shine the light on the inequalities that's already existing in the system. So the, the seventh embrace report at the time, which was four times more for black women to die and twice more for Asian and mixed ethnic group, uh, ethnicity women to die within our services. I refer to that as a, you know, the same report, the same year, you know, nothing has changed. And we're just talking about it year in, year out. Um, next slide please. And it's not just about our mothers, it's also the babies of those of those um, women from you know different communities. And as you know, um, in that same year that we had the seventh Embrace report, um, Embrace also came out with a combined you know impact or report that actually looked at the, the relationship between ethnicity, deprivation and as well as age, which obviously I believe that was the first time they're looking into those combined reports. And I, I actually refer to that report as, you know, triple whammy for ethnic minority communities, mothers, Asian, black, and ethnic, ethnic and mixed ethnicity mothers. Because if you are, if you look like me, if you're an ethnic minority, and you also lived in the most deprived areas in the country, and you are a, you are younger or older, then your risk is very much higher. And also for the babies, they're also up to four times more likely to have stillbirth and twice, or over twice more likely for their babies to end in neonatal death. So going on from that, yes, we now have the most current reports. Have we really moved? So um, it, it, it's actually a report that says, where are we now? And I, I want to believe that many of you have seen this report or you have read the report. So what does that say to us? So again, like I said, it's important that we acknowledge that there have been a lot of interventions, you know, in addressing the inequalities, but we still, it's a journey. We still have a very long way to go. You know, that this report now showing three, 0.7 times more likely for black women to die. You know, but, but again, 3.7 is still very high. One, one death is far too many. 
you know, and it's important that yes, we should not be comfortable. Yes, we are improving. That not statistically significant. Yeah, I think it's important to highlight that. And also to not be comfortable with that. Yes, there are a lot of interventions. We're talking about it, but are we moving at this pace that we really want to not just yet? So just the summary of what that report says, like I said, you know, currently there hasn't been no statistically significant increase in the overall maternal death rates in the in the UK. And also there is still you know, a, a huge increase of inequalities in maternal mortality rates, especially for Black and Asian women and also women that live in the most deprived areas. And not forgetting the, also our postnatal, the, the, the causes of this um, um, death is very much around postnatal period. And again, I think it's something that we also need to focus on in terms of the postnatal care, both in the hospital and also in the community and, and other agencies that we need to be working with clearly to address these issues. And I do know Tracy has talked about continuity of care because again, it relates with having that relationship, not only with the woman, but also with professional groups that involved in the care of this woman. So what do we really know? What do we currently know about the, the challenges that were you know, um, ethnic minority mothers, Black, most especially those women that were identified in the Embrace report. What are the challenges? What are the barriers? We know, yes, you know, they, they, they assess the, um, they, they assess the care late. Is that true? Do they know when they should assess, the, 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 you know, they should assess our services? Is that, info, is the information widely accepted, I mean, available for them in the community? Or is it just sitting, within our maternity services. We know, you know, we, so we are aware of all these challenges and how do we, how are we addressing those challenges? And in addition to what we know, we also now know following those three reports, and again, many of you would have seen already this report, which is hard to read, you know, but we have a deep dive into an understanding into the experiences of our diverse communities that are using our services. We have the birth rights report looking at various you know, um, ethnic groups. We have five times more fantastic two ladies looking at and hearing the voices of black women specifically and mixed ethnic minority, uh, mixed ethnicity women. And also we have the faith because it's not only about ethnicity, it's also about the faith. You know, we heard from the Muslim women and they all really, you know, we heard clearly and loudly what this group of women and communities are telling us. So what do they want? What did they indicate that they want? Just in summary, because of time, they want healthcare professionals to stop making assumptions about the ethnicity as well as about the religion, have conversation with them. You know, women want to be listened to. And it's quite interesting because in terms of listening, it's not only, I think the listening bit really cut across all ethnic groups. And it's important women don't feel heard regardless of their status and where they are from. But most importantly, the, the women from, you know, diverse community don't even feel heard, you know, um, more. Women want more antenatal appointments and they also want more information about their bathroom options in the simple language that they understand. And finally, they wanted every procedure, including induction of labor, to be explained to them properly. So across those three reports, we have five key themes. There were actually 84 recommendations were made across the three reports. You know, 29 were made by Batright, were made by five times more reports and 45 were made by the Muslim um, Women's Network. So we brought all that into five key things. What were they all saying? They talk about the workforce, training and education to better address health inequalities within our services. You know, the co-production, importantly, you know, getting women in the center of their care. I mean, continuity of care would address that for us. The data quality, improving coding of ethnic groups. There are a lot of work going on around that. Anti-racism approach. We do know we have systemic issues and we also have those conscious and unconscious bias from our, from our healthcare professionals. And also we also heard that, you know, women from ethnic minority background don't necessarily complain. And raising awareness of complaint process 
is very important for us to be able to improve the care that we provide. And the CQC 2021 maternity survey published in February of 2022 actually alluded to that in terms of the responses that we, we received from our ethnic minorities. And you can see that for yourself. Moving swiftly, um, I think the next slide I'm going to jump because our lovely Tracy has already mentioned about the key outcomes and the benefits of, of, of uh, you know, continuing to of carers. That, and I must say, actually, before I move from this slide, that we do know one of the causes for, for, for black babies ending up in, in, in um, stillbirth is very much preterm. And we know that continuity of care, you know, reduces. Have, if you are on the continuity of care model, ethnic minority, 24% less likely to experience preterm birth. I mean, it's really a no-brainer, really. You know, whatever mm -hmm. that works for me is evidence-based. Whatever that works to reduce, you know, the inequalities is what we should do. So what are the three main approaches for midwifery continuity of care? You know, several targeted, culturally sensitive interventions have been developed and piloted to improve the access to and quality of maternity care for women from ethnic minority backgrounds and to address the increased risk they face when given birth within our services. But so for this, we have enhanced care, which um, Tracy has mentioned briefly, peer support. We have evidences of that across the country. And the example of that is maternity mates, you know, that they operate in, in, in East London. And that works very well with women as well. You know, tailored parent education, culturally sensitive education. You know, we have that evidence that ethnic minorities do not attend antenatal classes. Is there a reason for that? You know, so tailored parent education, telling them in the language that they, they understand and they are able to engage with. So um, finally, the respectful and inclusive maternity care. I think it's important to mention this because what mid what continuity of care does is it enhances the culture of respectful maternity care. It asks you to listen to the woman. The woman is in the center of the care. She's not just in the center, she's in the control, you know, of our care. And it's all, it also provides actually makes a provision for culturally sensitive, safe and quality care. The woman feels safe because she knows she's in the control of the care that we provide. We are just a partner, you know, in the care that we provide. And it's also evidence-based like we've all mentioned today. And it's personalized, it's holistic. You know, midwifery continuity of care provides holistic care, you know, for ju not just the woman, but for the family. And also it provides empathy, communication, communication, communication. It empowers both in the relationship to communicate appropriately. And it also provides confidence for the woman and to, is, to the woman and to the family in terms of the care they will receive within our services and gives the healthcare professional the knowledge that is required to support the woman and her family. And finally, it also empowers the midwives as an advocate for women and for, mid, uh, for, for midwifery to provide that the, the care that is required to improve the outcomes of this woman. Thank you very much. So I'm just going to hand over back to you. <laughs> Thank you. My goodness. I think my brain is getting full. <laughs> There's so much to, to be to be exploring there. So thank you so much, Wendy, because that was a real whistle stop tour of all of the issues sort of that underpin what we're trying to do. So that's fantastic. Thank you so much. I'm going to launch straight in the questions because our audience and I'm looking over here at my other screen because that's where the questions are coming. And I've got uh, my first question is uh, Marie. And Marie, hi Marie, says, how many trusts are actually still providing continuity of care in view of the current midwifery shortages? Now, I know this is one that Tricky, Trick, I can see Trixie smiling already because, you, you know, there was a whole debate about whether continuity of care should be offered if you haven't got quite enough staff. So Trixie, would you like to respond to that one? I would love to respond to that one. So the first thing to say is, <clears throat> excuse me, is that if you don't have enough staff, whether you're providing a traditional model or any other kind of model, your service would be unsafe. And that is the baseline. I'd also say that um, 
that in terms of providing continuity of carer for most services, you don't need more midwives to provide continuity of carer. So, and if you're unsure of any of this, I'm very happy to come to your service to help you think about it. And there's also the NHS England uh, deployment tool that's available to help you also think about when is it safe to deploy continuity of carer. Now to come onto the precise question, there are still quite a lot of services providing continuity of carer. Um, uh, as I've said, there's 59, there are 59 teams in play across the country. Um, we're not allowed to survey people at the moment because we've said we've taken it away as a target. So we can't say, hello, hospital over there. Are you doing this or not? <laughs> we've got a bit of an idea, but we don't know exactly. What mm. I can tell you is there's still some real beacons of excellence out there. For example, where um, well, uh, in uh, James Paget in the east of England, that is both rural and coastal. So one of the most difficult places I would say to actually implement continuity of care because small services, it's much more difficult to implement continuity in a small service than a big service. And they've got 85% continuity of care wow. and they're just waiting for their last team to roll out. And, and they've, they've got spectacular results. You heard Wendy talk about the reduction in preterm birth by 24%. Well, actually they had a reduction in their particular service of 25% uh, for preterm birth as they wow. compared their services pre-continuity to now and so I think that's significant and it says it's doing exactly what's on the tin you've got the example of uh, what Charlotte just shared with us today down in, in in Southampton with three teams going great guns you can see that the both the midwives and the women are having a fantastic time and across the country there are other places Barnsley Worcester's got teams um that's just a, a few that I can mention yeah no, that's fantastic so, so yeah it's still that's... it's still in play no, but I think the point about the staffing is a really key one. So thank you for yeah. um, highlighting that because that's really important because I know when midwives are feeling pressured and they're thinking, oh, how are we going to possibly cope? That's really reassuring. And I know that you're supporting several uh, units sort of looking at what they've got as well. So that's really helpful. OK, thank you for that. And then we've got Mary. Hi, Mary says, I love the idea of setting up groups for Afghan women. However, how do teams manage to protect time to do this? In my trust, I find anything that isn't absolutely essential gets pulled as staffing reduces. How do you protect these teams? Is it right to do so? And it, this is kind of linked to the original, isn't it? Yeah. So what I would, yeah. So I would say that lots of services got quite burned because of COVID. So a lot of midwives went off sick because of COVID or they'd been in contact with people who had COVID and therefore they weren't coming to work. And what happened to the teams that were already in place was they were then escalated in yeah, they they were already escalated uh, in. I've been told to put my phone down so we don't. <laughs> so Wendy, Wendy's fine with me. We're both in London today for this conference, so that's why we're here together on this phone in case anybody's wondering. So essentially, thinking about your teams, what's really important is that you put in a standard operating policy in place before you do anything else that describes the roles and responsibilities of everybody, including what do you do when you need to escalate? So you'll remember that I just flashed up and it was at the moment when the um, gremlins were in the system, You a, a slide about building blocks. What's really important is you set up, you work out your staffing where they all need to be at different stages of rolling out continuity, which would include for, for, for specific groups of women. Although what we do recommend is that you predominantly do place-based teams because that's what women say they want they want a service that's accessible so it's it's generally not sensible to say well we'll only have black women or we'll only have afghan women but if you have a service that's placed in because that smacks of segregation what you want to be thinking about is well probably those afghan women live over in that particular postcode or by that particular hotel and you can then set up your team in a nearby children's center for example and you have a wider population so the whole mm -hmm community comes together and they can benefit from each other so also the afghan women might get to know the local nigerian women like when you live nearby or they might get to know um the, you know the local whoever happens to live there but they get to know each other and they get to build a community mm. with, with within themselves but you do need a standard operating policy that includes an escalation policy that that protects the continuity midwives for being constantly on call. Otherwise, it just goes wrong. 
And that's what we see. And I, I think Trixie is the first person to make a standard operating policy sound exciting interesting and exciting and something you'd want to know about yeah. so and in our toolkit we have a sample <laughs> for you if you, or you can write to me if you want one <laughs> there that's that's and that's a perfect answer i think we'll we are going to come back to this we are we won't escape thank you for that i hope mary that's answered your question i've got a comment from kim watts hi kim who says i think having provided national training on maternity care, uh, continuity of care across England, the main challenge faced by midwives is that they're still being expected to work in the traditional pattern of working, which does not work for continuity. Yeah. This is the message we need to get over. Yes. And that's sort of pulling in the midwives from their ordinary work, their proper work into the labour ward when it gets busy. It's that idea, isn't it? Yes, no, they have to stand alone. So they are flexible. Well, we recommend strongly that they're flexible and autonomous. So they manage their own diaries, but there's seven or eight of them generally in a team. And at any given time, one of them needs to be available for out of hours work. So yeah. if my woman that I'm particularly in relationship with goes into labor while I'm at work, and it's in the daytime, I'll go and, and, and care for her at that moment in time. But if it's out of hours, one of my team is always available. So you always know that somebody's available for the interpartum work and the toolkit works on, on, on that approach mm -hmm. as well to make sure that you never, you're never short for your labour ward and you're always got, a, every single woman always has a midwife when you work in that way. And doesn't that make more sense for midwives? Doesn't it make more sense for you? Exactly. Anyway. You're, you're staffing the women, <laughs> not the building. Exactly so. Now I've got a question from Leslie Page. Hi, Leslie. How are you? Ooh, Hope you had a nice birthday. Had a birthday recently. And and Leslie wants to know, a question for Charlotte, this is. Um, is your research increasing enthusiasm in your trust for continuity of carer? That's a good question, Leslie. That is a great question. Thank you for that. Um, I well, of I'd like to say definitely. I mean, the um when I was recruiting and collecting my data during um, the second and third lockdown, I was really, really surprised at the amount of interest I had in the research. Um, the teams are, are well established, so they have a number of midwives in their teams have been part of caseloading since the beginning, and they called themselves the longevity midwives. <laughs> and they, they, um, knew and they took it upon themselves to try to really change perceptions of continuity mm. because during the pandemic during the pandemic you know um services were and midwives in particular they were being asked to do more and more and more which did lead to burnout um their caseloads were far bigger and so that moment in time that snapshot in time it did of course impact people's um perceptions and positive outlook for, of continuity of care but the the longevity of the teams in um, Southampton I think is testament to the um, investment in the trust and the values um, of the midwives that have been involved in the caseloading teams for such a long time and I think really providing Southampton with a platform um, has really you know improved um, I guess that are you know perceptions generally but also um improve people's outlook and i suspect they're more interested in research too excellent little side absolutely <laughs> and you've answered actually because helena hemelin robinson hi helena had asked how many teams to southampton have in total and you've kind of answered that i think yeah, over over the years, they've had a number of different teams, um, but they have, you know, they've understood that the, the most effective, as we know, based on evidence, are geographically placed teams that look after mixed risk um, women within specific areas of uh, high deprivation. And so during my data collection period, there were three functioning, very successful teams with the um, idea that they would roll out in waves um, additional teams. But of course, with the workforce challenges we're experiencing at the moment, that has been difficult. Perfect. Thank you very much. Now we've got another, we've got a, a comment now, not a question. And this is from our Tracy Cooper. Hi, Tracy. 
And Tracy says, thank you, Trixie, Charlotte and Wendy. Wait for this. For keeping me entertained. <laughs> As I've been driving home from Newcastle tonight, only listening, not watching. Maternity care, uh, continuity of care is so important to help us make massive improvements to women and their families' lives. When we know the evidence and what it can do, especially for women who are black, brown, from minority backgrounds and women living in deprivation, it's immoral not to do it. Absolutely, Tracy, beautifully put. However, we do need to make sure it works for our workforce by ensuring they have flexibility, can manage their own diaries and be able to work on call commitments around their lives to ensure they have a better work-life balance than what they currently have. Beautifully put. How can we better that, Tracy? That's it. That's fantastic. Now, we've just got a, a couple more questions. We've got uh, Mary, again, Mary, I think it's the same Mary, who's saying, do you think the services providing continuity care are doing it in a valid way or naming the teams as continuity of care, but really are integrated teams? Mm, now, Trixie is nodding away. I don't quite follow that. but. Oh. I- Well, I understand exactly. So I think in the past, there was all sorts of interesting teams that called themselves (laughs) continuity that clearly weren't. The the ones that I've quoted, because I will never quote anywhere that is questionable, like James Padgett is absolutely doing it by the book. So we say, as you all know, that we, we say that you... You reorganize your service, you're changing your entire service delivery model that the midwives are organized into teams of approximately seven or eight midwives. uh, And each midwife books so that she can cover her attrition. So you book slightly more than 36, so three or four women a month Mm -hmm. with expectation of birthing three a month, which gives you the life life caseload of 27. We strongly recommend you work flexibly and because that makes so much more sense in terms of making the best of your time otherwise you end up just working uh, in the delivery suite all the time which is not going to solve any anything and it's not going to change anything we've got to think we have to do things differently so anywhere i've quoted is doing it by the book and also the enhanced teams that we we had you know we had appropriate rigor around that checking that that's what they were intending to do because there's no point in paying someone to just do something in name only and then it won't change the outcomes and that's why we see James Padgett has got such fantastic results not just in its preterm birth rates mm-hmm. because it is doing it with that that true relational intervention fabulous thank you now we've got um da, 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 da. Jane Marshall hi Jane Jane says on the, I think it means one of the key issues is changing the mindset of midwives to work in a different system to what they've become accustomed to. How can this culture change? Well, that's a million dollar question, I think. We know the benefits to women and the students who do caseloading also know this. So what is, how can this culture change? I'm not sure if that's a, a question, Jane, or you're just saying, how can this? So I would point I would point Jane to Michael West's work where people are working in appropriate teams where they're nurtured and cared for and where they're autonomous because they're making their own decisions, where they're responsible for their own caseload. They (coughs) excuse me, they they love it and they significantly benefit from it. And what I can tell you is even in places where they've had to pair back their team. So, for example, Darlington and Durham got up to 64%, I think, continuity. Mm. And because of significant staffing shortages, they had to pair back Mm. their teams. Otherwise, they couldn't cover their uh, labour ward. Um, The midwives in those teams were devastated at having to stop. Mm. So that's just an example, because Mm. people that have been doing it (coughs) want to carry on doing it. And that's the testament. And I think that's what you saw from what Charlotte said as well. And she might want to be here. Did you want to add to that, Charlotte? Yeah, yeah, I will. Thank, thank you so much. Um, one of my participants worked in a really innovative way, and she was a, a midwife working in uh, one of the caseloading teams and then took a, a fixed-term contract to work with a organisation in Southampton that was looking to provide targeted support for women um, at risk of repeat care proceedings. And she, I remember something she said to me, which really, really, um, you know, really, really touched me was that she felt as a midwife, she was only able to scratch the surface of the complexities 
um, and the nuances of women's lives. And it and it was through her integration into social care, along with her uh, skill and experience as a midwife, that she was truly able to provide complete woman-centered holistic care. And after that um, experience, she was going back into working um, with the maternity services and she provided a solution um, for us to work far more integrated with social services um, through various different secondments with social workers understanding midwifery theory and practice and science and us having a more nuanced um, understanding of social work theory and practice so I think there as we're working to transform services we do really need to think outside the box and work really creatively with our services across um, the ICSs as well. Fabulous thank you so much we've not got much more time but our audience have been very active with their questions we've got um, oh I'm just finding one well Paula Edwards would love you to come to see the Sapphire team in Derbyshire there geographically placed in a very high demographic of BAME women but sadly we're always at risk of being stopped due to staffing can I add that I launched my team in COVID well, very proud you should be Paula you need to get in contact with the team and have a look at that old toolbox because that might well help actually thank you for that and then Juliet Samuel in Essex says hello hi Juliet Enkin, Kirsi and Sharma's effective care in pregnancy and childbirth. Haven't heard that for a while. It's a, you know, on the bookshelf. Um, presented one presented one of the foundations to modernising our approach to maternity care. Why is there still today still the struggle to implement individualised care? Mm. I should throw that one to Wendy because yeah. Wendy's been very quiet in that corner. Personalised care. So are you talking about personalized care? I love the word individualized care. That's what it means to my <laughs> well, I think I mean I think Juliet's talking individualized care, but I think the the terminology terminology has changed a bit now towards personalized care, which probably has much more meaning, doesn't it, for us? It's quite an interesting um, question and very good one because um, um, Tracy and I were having that conversation just before we came online. Ah. In terms of the what does personalized care really means? What does that look like, especially when it comes to <clears throat> diverse communities? You, mm. you know, because again, when you define that, and I love individualized care to be honest, um, but when you look at personalized care, what does that entail? Does that bring the values? Because for our staff, when they're working, it's important when we use the word personalized care, we should actually say personalized and culturally sensitive oh, care. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. because that then makes everyone to be alert rather than not just looking at the woman that is in front mm. of them. Look at me. I am here, not just behind the word of personalized care. Mm. You know, personalized care means my values, my faith, you know, my community, what I see, what are my beliefs. It comes in all, but when you use the word personalized and culturally sensitive care, it triggers a lot of things mm -hmm. in your head as a healthcare professional for the woman that is you're actually looking after. Because it's just so easy to, to hide behind one word that means so much. Mm. I think you're absolutely right. And I think I'm going to have to have you, all of you, back again because <laughs> we've still got a few questions here. Um, I'm going to I'm going to have to I'll, I'll just one more question, I think. And that's from Kate Woodcock. Who, hi, Kate, who says, has anyone researched the geographics of the areas in the UK with the BAME women are more likely to die? Could this have anything to do with hospitals that use lots of agency midwives? This might be something I witnessed when working in London, just putting out there. I'm, I'm not sure about that. You'd have to look at, I think you'd have to look at the Embrace reports, it, wouldn't you? It's good to look at that, but I don't see any link. It would be interesting. It's great yeah. that you highlight that. Very great. But it would be interesting to for us to see the link between that. But we, I think we have enough evidence why our women are dying. We know that right. there's a relationship, there is systemic racism. We, we do know, you know, it's far more than the link between agency. Agency meetings, mm -hmm. we all have, as 
I used to be an agency midwife. We all have our peer number. We need to yeah. provide the same care, you know, to every woman, regardless whether you are agency or a permanent staff. So there is an expectation of professional code of conduct for you. So that the link will really, it will be an interesting to, yeah. and if to it, see that link. Yeah, I think the flip side though is also, it's about, the, is the model of care set up to allow you to have a relationship, an ongoing relationship, not just hello, how are you? And I'm with you for these eight hours, but an ongoing relationship where you get to know someone over some time, which obviously continuity does, um yeah and and and, and against not having that yeah. because that is that it is it is absolutely categorical we see it in primary care as well that where there's a relationship with the gp and the person they're less likely to die as well and so and also within the context of continuity they get to know each other so they're less anxious and less depressed so if you think about all the people that commit suicide or all the women that commit suicide as as a cause of of maternal death actually some of that you can't say it categorically and we don't know because the numbers are so small but actually that might be avoided too because that woman is therefore less anxious less depressed and so on and so forth and or, or that woman falling into depression might get caught because of the relationships around her including those health professionals and the relationships she builds with the other women that have been cared for in that geographical location just for example and I think it's very important just to quickly add to that that our agency midwives are fab and majority of them are very senior mm. and experienced. And mm. to link that with them will not be a nice thing, to be honest, because they are actually supporting these services. Yeah, and I think I think it could be yeah. it could be a bit tricky because in, in yeah. I mean in some units I know that you do some bank shifts and you could be treated as an agency and I mean I think we've all worked as agency so maybe that's a, an interesting thing to look at Kate but maybe uh, it needs no. to be broadened out a bit <laughs> anyway I'm, I'm going to have to bring this to a close because we have run over a little so thank you to everybody who stayed on listening thank you so much to our lovely speakers our Charlotte and our Wendy and our Trixie and we will have our guests back because the story will need to continue and um, it might be slightly different next time because we tend to have different and time moves on and things are different um, but in the meantime I'm just going to say a big thank you to everyone including Amy who's behind the scenes trying to deal with these wretched gremlins <clears throat> and, and um, thank you to everyone for watching Amy this evening and we're going to now uh, next week we're looking at in maternity out at some issues around breastfeeding we've got wendy jones and claire maxwell we're talking medication and breastfeeding and breastfeeding babies who refuse bottles which is going to be very interesting based on nice hot hot off the press research again don't forget to book for safer beginnings conference for healthcare professionals and educators um, and best that's Best Beginnings and White Ribbon Alliance, and that's 3rd of March in London, 10th of March in Manchester. If you want a little trip to Dublin, we have the All-Ireland Festival on the 18th of April. Very nice place, Dublin. And if you want to go to Leicester, we have the Midlands Festival on the 16th of May, and you might want to book that now. But in the meantime, thank you again to our lovely, lovely speakers. We'll see you next week. Take care and take care of yourselves. Thank you for joining us for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour. This podcast has been made possible by the team at Maternity and Midwifery Forum and our CPD partners, Matflix. You can sign up at matflix.co.uk.